going to talk about Canada's military spending. Why is it taking us so long to buy new military equipment? It feels like we are not setting ourselves up for success when, in other instances, countries like Poland seem to be able to arm themselves really substantially in just months. We're getting into it right now with our guest, who's associate professor who specializes in defense policy at the University of Calgary. Dr. Rob Hubert is joining me. Dr. Hubert, thanks so much for making the time. Really appreciate it. No, it's always my pleasure to chat with you, Chelsea. So explain this parallel that now we're drawing between Canada and Poland. What exactly is it that Poland has done that now we're comparing ourselves to and saying, why can't we do what they're doing? Well, they are rearming themselves in the face of the Russian threat. And we see them going right through a whole wide range of capabilities uh, because they take their defense serious. Uh, I mean, it, it, you can talk about Poland right now. That's the example everyone, of course, is, is pointing to. You can look at how fast the Finns and the Danes were able to get F-35s. You can look at what the Australians have been doing. And right across the board, uh, the one country that stands out for its seemingly inability to do this is, of course, Canada. And, um, you know, what seems to take other countries, you know, maybe a couple of years, it's decades for us often. It doesn't matter if you're talking about the replacement for the Sea King helicopters, replacement for the frigates, replacement for submarines. Um, it's not an exaggeration to say that you are into decades, in some instances, two decades before we ever get um, get some of the, the projects that we've required. And I want to get into a few of those reasons as to why, because I think that this is a pretty layered issue. But I mean, in the situation that we're describing happening in Poland, it's a matter of them rearming themselves in four months, which is really fast and you compare that to decades here in Canada, we're, we're far behind. Is it because there's not a, a perceived real threat like there is in Europe? Well, this is the problem. The, the threats are just are almost as dangerous to Canada in some ways. They're more so. But ultimately, two, two factors arise here. The first one is that our political elites, and, and you can say, okay, the Liberals are particularly bad right now. The Conservatives were not that much better when, when Harper was in, was in power. But the reality is, is that they know that ultimately the Americans will provide for the security of North America. And so the type of threats that are most dangerous to us, the aerospace, the maritime threats, we've basically been allowed to let the Americans worry about it, take care of it. And for us, we basically treat our defense as if it's discretionary. And the problem is, is that there is a significant proportion of the Canadian population that accepts that argument. And as a result, there is no political pressure Let's say that Poland, Australia, Japan, South Korea, any of these other countries who take it much more serious and do a much better job than we uh, than we are. So the politicians can do it when they get a little bit of feel that they feel they're too pressured from the Americans, and that's usually what stri- drives us to get it right. Uh, but generally speaking, there is no political uh, fallout for the elites to do it. And from a security perspective, of course, we do have that that the protection of the Americans. It comes at a cost. It's a different type of cost. It's sovereignty. It's control of our overall, our own uh, personal national security. But this is the road that we have basically seen Canadian governments go, well, since the end of the Second World War. But do we have that protection? I mean, is it a certainty that our neighbors to the south are going to make sure that we're that we're protected if there is any sort of threat? 
Oh, it's a complete false. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the reality, and we're seeing this. I mean, I think that if anyone was thinking that the, the, the special relationship that was established in 1940 between FDR and, uh, and Mackenzie King was somehow going to go on forever, just had to look at Can- Canadian-American defense relations. And under the Trump administration, it was clear that any discussions of a special relationship at the political elite level didn't exist. And so that the United States is increasingly, and it, I mean, it could be Trump coming back. We can't rule that out. And then, then this is going to come much sooner. But we see the overall trend is that most American political elites will give lip service to, to Canada as the special neighbor, as a special relation. But we can expect as things move forward, the Americans are going to be less and less inclined to go with that if they see no benefit from it. Um, in, in years before, we did step up to do military um, um, engagements with the Americans. We did have a serious military. Uh, but after Trudeau Sr., when there were significant cuts to every aspect of our defense, and no one else really stepped up to re, you know, ever to replace those, once again, conservative or liberal, that's the point that, of course, now American elites may not necessarily remember what we did in World War II, what we did in, in Korea, what we did in terms of uh, our efforts to uh, participate in the early stages of the Cold War. And I think that we it's a bit of a fool's paradise to think that the Americans will think that way. The other thing, too, is that the threats that we are facing, and they come from the Russians and the Chinese, the threats are very real. And, and there are all sorts of scenarios one can map out where, in fact, Canada does have to look after its own security. And so that becomes even the added problem. And once again, you can talk procurement, but you can also talk about the refusal of this government, for example, to even think of the Chinese as a real threat. I mean, their, their, their refusal to take the interference serious, and I don't think anyone thinks that they are taking it serious, indicates that not only do we not want to buy the equipment that we need, we're unwilling to acknowledge the threat for the reasons of why we need it. And I mean, it might be paranoid thinking, but then does that not make us look like even more of an easy target? I mean, if you're just going to roll over and let surveillance take place without any repercussion in the case of China, uh, then doesn't that make us even easier to exploit? Doesn't it make us more vulnerable? Well, it's not paranoia. You just highlighted some of the major concerns about our continued participation in a close intelligence alliance that occurs between us, the United States, Great Britain, Australia, New Zealand, the Five Eyes. And there have been very big questions asked about Canada's refusal to take the WAWA threat serious. Uh, you can talk about why Canada was not asked to participate with the uh, AUK-US uh, agreement on developing advanced anti-maritime um, uh, capabilities, i.e. submarines, but it goes way beyond that. And so it's not paranoid because it's happening. And we're seeing increasingly the Washington papers that were were released um, uh, by that individual indicates that the Americans are losing patience. We know that the Australians are losing patience with us. Um, you, so, so it's not paranoia when it's based on fact. 
And so there is a real danger here that because the political elites in Canada have been able to get away with this, and this party in particular, that in fact that we will be seen as the weak link, and there will be consequences to it. Exactly what means, first of all, that we won't be included with our closest allies when they are getting together to discuss issues. We won't necessarily be given sort of first choice it will have a, a, a spillover effect on our economic relations. Um, and so the, the costs are going to be huge in the long term. Dr. Hubert, I know your time is really valuable, but I want to keep talking about this with you. We have to take a sure. very short break. We're going to be really quick with it and get back into this conversation talking about Canada's defense spending and the way that it compares or doesn't compare really at all to other countries that are able to rearm themselves very quickly and very efficiently. How does that leave us vulnerable? We'll get back into it coming up in three minutes. Talking about Canada's defense spending and how we're leaving ourselves really vulnerable without arming ourselves properly, especially compared to other countries that are able to do it really efficiently and really quickly. This is a comparison that's come up because Poland has rearmed themselves in a matter of four months and it's drawing attention and some comparisons to what we're not doing here in Canada. Our guest is Associate Professor who specializes in defense policy at the University of Calgary, Dr. Rob Hubert. Dr. Hubert, thank you so much for sticking around on hold. I really do appreciate your time. We're talking about Canada really um, just putting ourselves in a really vulnerable situation. And I wonder if that's the case when it comes to military equipment and the way that uh, probably comes to mind for most people, um, but also in in maybe thinking down the line about what a, a tech war could potentially look like or a tech attack. Is there any investment in that area when it comes to our defense or are we just leaving ourselves really open across the board? To, to engage with the information warfare, to to be able to, to deal with an enemy that has become increasingly sophisticated in its ability to, to, to weaponize social media, um, misinformation, and all the rest. To actually fight them effectively, you have to keep a lot of the stuff that you're doing secret. The problem with that is, of course, is that we have a sneaking suspicion in the face of what's happening in terms of some of the leaks that have come out in regards to to our efforts to respond to the Chinese efforts against Canadian uh, uh, political elites is that, in fact, that we use that as an excuse, but we're not doing it. So, in other words, mm. the government should not be talking that openly about what it's doing because then you tip off your enemy. Sure. The problem is if you've got a government that doesn't want to do it, it's a perfect thing to say, don't worry, you know, be happy, we're taking care of it, but we can't tell you what we're doing. Um, they're right on that on a superficial level, but unfortunately, it looks increasingly as the information comes out about what we haven't done since we've known this information about the Chinese, that we use that as an excuse. And, and that makes it a very difficult issue in Canada. But I think that what is coming out between the leaks and some of the other information in terms of how effective the Chinese, in fact, have been in using this against us, that, in fact, that uh, we can understand that we're not taking the proper steps to stop it. Otherwise, why would these events be happening? I wonder if there is enough polit um, public interest um, amongst Canadians to incite some change. I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about how this is not ever really a political conversation. It's certainly not a, a sexy political conversation, uh, at least not with this party, maybe not with another in the future. Is there enough attention that Canadians are paying to this that it could potentially become something that's actually uh, treated as important as it is? 
Well, here's the problem, is that we've seen indications that if the government does make up its mind to treat a, a threat as a serious threat, it can inform public discourse. I mean, look at the change that this government, to give them full credit on this, in terms of raising the issue of reconciliation with our Indigenous peoples mm-hmm. and making sure that Canadians understand the, the, the very difficult histories that we've had, in fact, on that regard. That's a new dialogue. I mean, for, 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 for people of an older generation, they'll remember that this discussion wasn't there. That, you know, basically, you could say it was swept under the carpet, it wasn't addressed, it wasn't yeah. um, just discussed. But this government made that part of its mandate, and that demonstrates that if a government does in fact choose to to emphasize what it sees as a threat, in this case this is an internal uh, social uh, human security threat, we can understand it in that context, and they chose, we are, gonna, we are going to engage Canadians on it, we're going to talk, we're going to use the ability. And so, in theory, the government could also say, oh my God, you know, we are threatened from the Russians, we are threatened from the Chinese, we do have to ensure that the Americans do not think that we are a weak link, um, all of which it knows, and it could theoretically choose to discuss and raise this issue that then would make it important for our, for Canadians in a way that we see now the Canadians see Indigenous uh, reconciliation as an important issue. So we know they can do it, but this government has clearly chosen not to do that. And so what would drive Canadians to be concerned about that? Well, the problem is, is everybody wants to focus on what's happening in their immediate life. And if the government's saying, hey, don't worry, be happy, you know, nothing to see, you know, look at the governor general, the former governor general's report on, on political interference where he says, yeah, you know, don't, you know, take the government's doing a good job. Don't worry about it. Well, you know, a lot of people will take their cues from that. And, yeah. and the problem that that creates is that when we face the real crisis, when the next major war occurs, uh, we will be caught unprepared for it. So, say, the, you know, the American, a lot of, of, of American analysis points to the fact they think the Chinese will move into Taiwan with military force. Uh, the Russians have been using military intervention every eight years. So we can expect to see them trying to lick their wounds after this phase of the Ukrainian war is over and then moving on to something else if they follow that that that, that logic. And so what that does is means that because we've got a government that says, be happy, don't worry, this isn't an issue, it allows them to have Canada totally unprepared. And, and that is a real threat in the environment that we're facing. Gives us a lot to think about as Canadian citizens. Dr. Hubert, a lot of love for you right now on our station text line. Uh, so much yeah. great perspective to offer. Thank you so much for your time. Can, really appreciate can, it. If, if I can sneak in one last yeah. observation. Canada can do its procurement. It has demonstrated when the political will occurs, we can do it. And the two examples, of course, that we always forget when we're looking at how badly we do it is, of course, that when we modernized our frigates, we did it ahead of schedule, but we did it under budget. We also made the decision to get the strategic airlift through the C-17s that we bought. Once again, that decision was made very fast, almost at sort of a pace of what we saw the Finns, Japanese, or the Poles move at. So Canada can do it, but the problem is political will. And that's, I, I want to leave the reader, you know, your listeners with that, that there isn't anything inherently Canadian that says that we can't do procurement right. We can do it, but we choose not to. And that's the important thing to remember. And will be soon enough. Dr. Hewart, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. My
Of course. Take care. That's Dr. Rob Hubert, Associate Professor who specializes in defense policy from the University of Calgary.